News Network. If today were a science fiction movie, you'd be shaking your head at the news. Today, Huxley reads like a prophecy. Orwell's saying, I told you so's from the grave. And the ghost of Ayn Rand weeps in the dark. None of it makes any sense. Well, the people have had it. Now, before you reach for revolution, take a deep breath and put in a few moments identifying fact from science fiction. And for that clarity, you need the truth. You need TNN, the Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. You know, revolution, we don't need to throw that word out of our vocabulary. You know, things can get pretty bad, and they keep getting pretty bad, and worse, and worse, and worse. Now, I'm not advocating for revolution. I'm a peace kind of guy. I want peace. I think that's the one thing that we, the people, owe to our fellow Americans especially to our children and our grandchildren. Peace. Where does peace come from? How do you get peace? Well, peace basically is the absence of the opposite, which is uproar and craziness. And you can come up with a bunch of different adverbs describing it, adjectives in this case. But peace is something that we all long for. Let me tell you what we're going to do today. We're not going to throw out a bunch of um, grenades. We're not going to do a bunch of blow up over here and blow up over there. What we are going to do is we're going to research some facts. We have some very serious information that came out since we talked last on Friday. And some of it is kind of spooky. Some of it's kind of scary. But every bit of it is factual information on which we agree. The reason you're here, the reason I'm here, is we're fact finders. We go find the truth. And it's none of this BS about, well, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. No, truth doesn't need your help or my help. It just needs to be exposed. Let it do what truth does, which is gives us things, concrete things, with which we can make our decisions in life. We've got some big, 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 big ones to talk about this morning, but I'm going to tell you now, I'm not a revolution guy. I'm not a law-breaking kind of a guy. I believe in the rule of law. I trust the rule of law. I think we all should, and I think it's a travesty that there are even people that were paying to represent us in Congress who don't believe in the law. And oh, by the way, there's one sitting atop the heap in the White House that doesn't believe in the law. Do you believe? And I'm going to move on, but I'm just going to throw this out there. He was in Canada with his loved brother, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And while he was there, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, assured the Canadian people that he was working with Canada to secure the border, the northern border of the U.S., the southern border of Canada. I think maybe Joe gets southern border mixed up. He needs to secure, help secure the northern border. But doggone it. (laughs) Does he even know we have a southern border? Does he know what's going on down there? So, I told you, don't get revolutionary in your thinking. Don't get afraid. We're going to have a great day today. A really good day. And we're going to start it off with a really good little song about a really good day. Lovely day. Here's Bill Withers. When I wake up in the morning, love, 
sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely Here's hoping your Monday started off as a lovely day, and no better way to start off your day than uh, kissing your bride goodbye or your husband goodbye as you go off to your day's bit of work, maybe, maybe uh, volunteering or whatever it is that you're going to do today, and uh, be positive about it. Say, you know, hey, I love you. Have a great day. This morning, Marianne came by and kissed me goodbye for the day. It always it always makes it feel good, you know. You don't you don't get all negative. A simple little 
kiss goodbye and hey, I love you. Have a great day. That's a great thing, a great way to start your day. Now, I did get up while she was still sleeping and jump in the car and run over to um, the 6 a.m. prayer meeting that I do Monday through Friday at our church, SCC, Shreveport Community Church. You can, by the way, if you want to tune in in the morning at exactly 6 a.m., you can go to Facebook, the SCC, Shreveport Community Church, go to the website, and you can scroll down. There's a little place where you can watch. It's nothing dramatic. It's one or two of us. Uh, one of the pastors, myself, Bruce, when Bruce is there, he's a great singer, and I get on the keyboard next to uh, the podium where we uh, we have this prayer meeting and play, and he sings a praise song. So anyway, that being said, you know, prayer is a great way to start every day, and especially when there's a lot of stuff on your plate. You know, you wake up, and the first thing you wake up and think about is the last thing that you went to to sleep last night thinking about. Those are usually not good things. Those are bad things, things you're worried about, things that you got to do, and sometimes the got to do's are insurmountable. I hope, I hope you learn. At 69, I learned not to do that. You know, we make choices to accept that. We don't have to do that. You can control your thoughts when you get over the edge or close to being over the edge. Just say to yourself, stop it, stop it, and then pick something, something positive in your life that you want to think about, and then think about it. My goodness, you know, we don't have to live a life where circumstances just totally devour every minute of every day. If they do, it's because you choose for them to do. I think we as Christians, we need to learn that. We need to learn that especially because we're supposed to get in the minds of other people and help them feel better about themselves and their lives and the ups and not to concentrate on the downs. That's what we're supposed to. How are we going to do that? How are you going to make somebody else feel good about their day and their life? If you're poor me all the time and you're sucks and you make sure everybody knows about it. We're going to start the week this morning. And this is not going to be a negative show, but it is going to be an informational show. And there's some information we're going to talk about that's not, um, it's not really positive, but it's just lifey. You know what I mean when I say lifey? It's about life circumstances. It's about things going on that are specifically going on now. And there are things that we need to note and put in the context of a bigger group of things. And that kind of makes it work all together instead of just pointing over here at this one thing and going crazy and then looking over here at another thing going crazy about it without ever contemplating maybe the two go together. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to get into some of that. First, we got some medicine we got into. This first story is going to just frost you, I'm sure. A group of our U.S. medical experts, they're set to meet soon. We don't know when, but soon. 
And they're meeting as part of a project to determine which adverse events the COVID-19 vaccines cause. Now, I'm going to wait a second and let you stop laughing. (laughs) The National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, they have appointed a committee to review evidence, ooh, evidence, of the relationship between the vaccines and specific adverse events that have occurred after vaccination, including, by the way, infertility and sudden death. Now, the words review evidence is a hyperlink. I haven't done this. I'm going to click on it and see what they want us to review, what evidence they want us to review. So here we go. Again, I haven't seen this. Uh, It took me over to National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine Review. All it is, it announces that there's an upcoming meeting with those experts, which I just told you about, so we really didn't need to click on that hyperlink. So, this committee's process includes establishing methods, reviewing literature, drawing conclusions, and preparing a report. I've got a novel idea. Why don't we just talk to the scientists, the experts, the doctors, the ones that actually see COVID-19 in the patients that they vaccinate. They're the ones that can tell you, here's what the heck's going on. You want to know the part of this story that just frosts me? That stuff they just gave us, that information, listen to it. Again, a group of U.S. experts is set to meet soon as part of a project to determine which adverse events the COVID-19 vaccines cause. You know why that frosts me? Have you ever heard anybody say that about things like, oh, I don't know, polio, diphtheria? Have you heard anything about that? We're going to get together and we're going to do it soon. And that's part of a project to determine which adverse events, the polio or the diphtheria or the mumps vaccines cause. No, we never heard that. You know why? Because it's always been done before the medicine comes out. It's called controlled laboratory experiments, human trials, all of those things. What's the difference here? Big difference is money. No doubt about it, it's money. People like Anthony Fauci, the CEO of Pfizer, CEO of Moderna, their pockets are full. The doctors that are involved in all this, their pockets are full. By the way, the hospital's pockets are full because of all the money that American taxpayers paid them to rush vaccines to the marketplace to scare everybody to death and demand you've got to jab. If you don't jab, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to die. But before you die, you're going to kill your loved ones just by being around them and breathing God's air. Am I jumping to a conclusion or what? You tell me. I heard those things that I just said from the very beginning. Heard about them month after month after month after month. And then we here at TNN Live, we're the ones that kept every week giving you the information about the VAERS report. You remember that? The VAERS report. 
What is it? It stands for Vaccine Adverse Event Reports. Why would we do those? Why would the CDC, now that's the science, right? Why would they do this, collect all this vaccine adverse event report action? Why would they do that if they'd done what they were supposed to do in medicine before they approved the medicine to be on the market, the vaccines? Hadn't looked at the VAERS report in a little bit, just popped it up. You want to hear about it? This is effective 11-18-2022. No, I'm sorry. It's not. This is through March the 10th. March the 10th. 1,533,181 VAERS reports have been given to the CDC. Now, let me tell you about these reports. The CDC is very careful to tell us the numbers in the various adverse reaction events that we're about to give to you. Those are nowhere near the real number of those cases. In fact, estimates are, CDC estimates are, that the real numbers are 10 to 15 times more. These numbers, why? Because not everyone is reported. Not every adverse reaction to anything is reported to anybody. There's no law that says they have to, and they're doctors. Come on now. Doctors aren't really big about doing stuff for other people, are they, in many cases, outside of their patients that are paying them? So would you like to hear the March 10th numbers? Numbers of confirmed deaths in the reports the CDC received. 34,724. Now, in a nation with a population of 330 million people, that doesn't seem like much. Well, let's put the 10 to 15 factor on there. And then all of a sudden, you're at somewhere around 350,000 to about 550,000. Now, you get in the half million numbers, it makes you think. Remember, we're not talking about deaths from COVID-19. We're talking about deaths from adverse reactions to the vaccines, not the disease, the vaccines. 34,725 reported, 195,000 hospitalizations, 150,000 more urgent care patients, quarter of a million doctor office visits, anaphylaxis shock, 10,439, Bell's palsy, 16,818 miscarriages, 5,000 heart attacks, 19,000, myocarditis and pericarditis, 27,000, permanent disability from taking a vaccine, permanent, 64,000 reported, CDC on the low side, the real number they say is about 642,000 permanently disabled Americans, and the real number might be 1 million. Thrombocytopenia, low platelets, 8,500 cases. Life-threatening other events, 37,000. Severe allergic reaction, 43,000. Shingles, 15,000. Now, these are the reports of adverse reactions to the vaccines, not the deaths or people that actually got these things. You got it? Reactions, not the outcome of COVID-19 infections. You put this in the pipeline. 
just put them in the pipeline. That's from 1,500, excuse me, one and a half million reports, 10 to 15 times that. That's what they tell us the normal would be if we extrapolated it out there. If all of the cases of these were reported to the CDC. So in other words, is it okay with you if probably half a million people died from the vaccines? Do you think a good government would make, which our government made people get vaccinated? Do you think they should make people get vaccinated when they know that half a million people died from the vaccination? And they're still fighting to force people to get vaccinated. This is the definition of insanity in governing. This alone, the Biden administration is still making certain people in the United States get vaccinated, COVID vaccinated. And all of these are adverse reaction issues that happened that should have been discovered in controlled clinical trials, which were not done in the case of COVID-19. Why? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Everybody's going to die. Who told us that? Anthony Fauci. At the White House, COVID meetings, nationally televised every single weekday for months, scaring Americans to death. We were making decisions based upon fear. Now, those of you that know me personally, you know that I, I'm verbose when it comes to talking. I believe in discussing important things with people that I love and that are important to me. So I do. I lost good friends in COVID-19, not because I talked down to anybody, but because I wrote stories and published stories. I talked about on this show things that I was confident about, not absolutely knowledgeable about. One of my closest friends when I lived in Lafayette, I moved from Lafayette when I was 12, One of my closest friends went, I mean, crazy on me over mask mandates. Female. She lives in Texas. And I I didn't talk to her about it. She just ripped me on Facebook of all places. And she said, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to the science. My reply was, I get it. I get it. The science is coming back now when we started publishing or passing along the details of these various reports. The science says masks don't work against COVID. And if you still today believe it, listen to me closely. Send me an email. I'll send you a link to 37 different controlled tests laboratory test by 37 different of the number one through 37 laboratories for research testing in the world, every one of them, 37 tested. All 37 said, masks do not work with COVID-19. And most of them said, in fact, you can have more problems from the masking 
because you just keep looping carbon dioxide that you breathe out. Mass catches it, you breathe it in the next breath. That's just one of those things. So here we are. Here we are. How many people have died from COVID? I don't know how many people will have died from COVID vaccines. Throw the math in there together. And here we are, two years after we were in the heat of COVID-19, and we're told this morning, we're told this morning that experts, experts are about to get together, don't know when, but they're going to get together soon and talk about this. Let me drop a little truth bomb on you. Insurance industry research from back in 2016. Now, why insurance industry research? These are life insurance companies. These are the people that when somebody dies that's insured, they look into it, what the cause was, all the details. Because why? They got to write a check to somebody that had life insurance with them. Insurance industry research from 2016 showed that group life policyholders are considerably healthier than the general population. They tend to be younger, well-educated, employed with Fortune 500 companies. So what happened in 2021 to turn the tables so dramatically? Well, I'll just give you the bullet points. Former BlackRock fund manager Edward Dowd. Who's BlackRock? It's the biggest company that owns companies on the planet. BlackRock, if there's any company that you look at out there, I don't care who it is, Walmart to Home Depot, that's just two examples. They own a piece of every big company. Their former fund manager, Edward Dowd, he's now drawing attention to a surge in deaths and disability that mysteriously began happening since the COVID shot campaign rolled out. Group life policyholders, who are typically healthier than most in the general population, experienced mortality spikes of 40% up in 2021. Disability numbers among the workforce reached a high of 33.2 million. Did you get that number? Disability numbers, permanent disabled Americans though in the workforce reached a high of 33.2 million in September of 2022, with numbers still trending up. And that's a massively unusual increase. Central banks, pharmaceutical companies, big tech, and the media all benefited from the pandemic. And they have an interest in covering up what Dow describes as large global murder scene. Dowd believes that there's enough alarming data to warrant the COVID-19 shot program being stopped immediately as the death and disability from the shots could easily exceed that from COVID-19. I'm not even going to go any deeper. It gets deeper, but I'm not going to go any deeper. I'm not trying to scare you. I told you at the top of the show, that's not what this is about. What this is about is getting facts. And I just gave you a bunch of facts. What you do with the facts you get here is totally up to you. 
but I just want you to have a place where you can go every day, Monday through Friday, and find out exactly what's going on. So what do we have coming up on the show today? We're going to look, see it. Have you thought about this lately? What happens if Joe Biden has to step down for some reason? Or maybe, God forbid, something happens to Joe Biden. Who would be president? Vice President Kamala Harris. What are your thoughts about Kamala? What are some of the thoughts about the people out there about the vice president? What are Joe Biden's thoughts about his vice president? We have that to talk about. We also have some nuclear information that ain't good we got to talk about and a whole lot more. So you go during this break, if you're going to go somewhere, go get it, go to the uh, the break room, get you a fresh cup of coffee or get your first soft drink for the day and get back here because it's only going to get bigger and bigger and badder and badder than what you just heard. Back after this. Recently, we got a letter from someone who loves Reese's. A real letter, like on paper. Thanks, Artie, from Tonawanda. You can, uh, you can email us next time. I love a good deal. <laughs> I love finding good deals like this because this Fritos Chili Cheese Junior Wrap is 99 cents. I feel like they just marked it wrong, but I'm not telling. Right. Sonic Fritos Chili Cheese Junior Wrap. Think you know how this is going to go? Think again. Introducing the Bowflex Fellow Core Bike with Leaning Mode that helps you tighten, strengthen, and tone your body all in one workout. The mother of all indoor bikes is at Bowflex.com. Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. And those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni, you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> ah! Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. Guardian of the Truth, Knight of the Republic, Speaker of the Facts, Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. God, that sounded kind of regal, didn't it? Speaker of the Facts. (laughs) Hey, we don't talk very often about Pete Moss. You know, that's the voice of TNN Live and Truth News Network. Longtime friends, got one of the 
the greatest voices ever in radio. And you hear that voice every once in a while when you're watching something that's a national show or documentary or even an ad. And that's what he does. Has a studio up. It used to be in Chicago, but you know, he got old. He's a few years older than me. And he decided, you know what? I'm tired of living in the big country, the steel and concrete and traffic. And so he moved his studio and moved his home up north of Chicago, up towards the Canadian border. And he lives literally out in the, in the woods. Now, he's a fellow Harley guy, and so he rides his sickle. But uh, he spends a lot of time doing a lot of work. In fact, he is so busy. I haven't even been able to talk to him recently. But uh, he does have what we in the industry call some great pipes. When you got a voice like his, that's what we call it. We call it pipes. So let's just hit a high note here, something that's not, you know, real nasty. A brand new poll has come out. In fact, it came out on Friday late. One of the 2024 presidential contenders has a higher net favorability than any other presidential candidate. Who would it be? Well, it's not Donald Trump. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has the highest net favorability of any of the 2024 declared presidential candidates, including Trump. That's according to a Friday poll. The governor has a 47% net favorability rate and a 34% unfavorability rate. So that means he's got a net uh, net 13 a 13 percentage point gap, which is also the largest positive gap among the Republican contenders. Now, this is not a dinky poll. It's Harvard-Harris, one of the biggest and one of the best. DeSantis's favorability is greater than the former president, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, conservative businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, former VP Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Pompeo, and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Trump comes the closest to the governor's net favorability ranking at 46%, but the orange man had a higher unfavorability score at 47. More people found Trump very favorable than DeSantis at 26% to 23 Pence, Haley, and Pompeo scored 44, 41, and 33% net, respectively. Scott and Ramaswamy garnered 31 and 22% net favorability, respectively. Haley was just behind DeSantis's margin between favorability and unfavorability, 12 percentage point spread. Scott and Ramaswamy have 9 and 3 percentage point spreads, respectively. Pence and Pompeo have gaps of two percentage points. Trump is the only one of these who experienced a negative margin of one percentage point, garnering a slightly higher net unfavorability than favorability. Now, what what does this all mean, Dan? You really want to know? Squat. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. At this particular point, you look back at presidential elections in our rearview mirror. Nobody knew who was going to win. 
at this point, nobody knew who was even going to represent their respective political party. But I think it's interesting just to point out out there that Americans are beginning to think towards the election season, and gosh, we still have a year, a year and a half to go before we have an election. Can you imagine what next year is going to be like? Oh my gosh, it's going to be nonstop fight, spit, sputter, allegations. I'm in, I'm out. It's going to be all over the place. Former president, he was out rolling over in Texas this weekend. He rejected an idea that he could nab Ron DeSantis as his running mate with the 2024 GOP frontrunner throwing cold water on the speculation before it really begins. As the rising Republican star in Ron DeSantis inches closer to jumping into what promises be a bruising primary battle with the former president for the White House. So during a call-in appearance to Newsmax host Rob Schmidt's show, Trump said that the chances that he would tab DeSantis for the bottom half of the GOP ticket if he wins a party's nomination would be very unlikely, while strongly suggesting that the Sunshine State leader's stance on Social Security and Medicare while he was a member of Congress will be deal killers with voters. So on that show Friday, Trump, perhaps the future political leader of the nation, moderated his volcanic rhetoric against the governor, whom he has brutalized on his true social platform for months, answering the question as to whether he would consider teaming up with the younger up-and-comer to take on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who will almost certainly head the Democrat Party ticket again next year, after noting that DeSantis has already ruled out a potential stand as Trump's running mate, Schmidt asked, was that ever an option for you, asking Donald Trump that? No, I never thought of it, Trump said. I think that we have a lot of great people in the Republican Party. I never thought of it. But you know, some people every once in a while mention it, But that's about it. No, I think it would be a very unlikely alliance. Then Trump talked about what seems to be a constant burr in his saddle in what appears to perceive as a lack of gratitude and deference from DeSantis, who was able to emerge as Florida's gubernatorial primary in 2018 after he was endorsed by Trump, who was then president, going on to narrowly defeat Democrat Andrew Gillum, a complete moral reprobate whose political career was dealt perhaps a fatal blow when he was caught in a Miami Beach hotel room where he had engaged in a drug-fueled romp with a homosexual escort, showing how Florida had narrowly dodged a bullet. Did you remember all that? That guy, Andrew Gillum, he, he was something else. Look, I appointed him, he continued. He was failing badly in the polls. He was out of politics. He was going to be out of politics, and I endorsed him. And he went from a very small number to a very high number, and he beat the person who happened to be leading, the Secretary of Agriculture. His name was Adam Putnam, and he went out and beat him only because of my endorsement. This is Trump talking, adding that he also deserved credit for DeSantis' general election victory against 
somebody who was the star of the Democrats, who turned out to be a crackhead, you know, later on. They didn't know that at the time. He was referring to the since-disgraced Andrew Gillum. If you look at his record, he can't win because he voted against Social Security, Trump said. I mean, he voted against things that are so, so important. Medicare, he voted against Medicare. He wanted to raise the age substantially for people getting Social Security, bringing up what is surely going to be at the top of the list of the Democrat attacks of DeSantis if he happens to come out on top of the primaries as the Republican nominee. Oh, here's a good one. Trump, he called DeSantis a disciple of Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, if you don't remember, he's the former Republican Speaker of the House, the running mate of failed presidential candidate Mitt Romney, who gagged away a winnable election against Obama in the midterms in 2012. DeSantis has similarly rejected the idea that he would join a Trump ticket. I think I'm probably more of an executive guy, DeSantis said during a Thursday interview on Newsmax. I think you want to be able to do things. That's part of the reason I got into this job is because we have action. Now, I brought this story to you today because I want you to remember something. Words matter. Words matter. Not so much Trump's words right now. Now, what do you mean, Dan? Trump is Donald Trump. Trump is as transparent as anybody that I know that's ever been in politics. You know, everybody knows what he's thinking at the moment. (laughs) And if you don't, you're not listening. He's going to tell you. But DeSantis, he's a newbie on the national level. Yeah, he served in Congress. And he's doing a great job for the people of Florida. Everybody I know, and I, I have a bunch of f- close friends that live in Florida, they think he hangs the moon. However, I'll just throw this caveat in there. Of the four or five friends that I'm referencing, not a single one of them, wants to support him as president. They want Donald Trump in. Why? Trump has proven that he can do it. In history, folks, just because somebody does a good job in the job or whatever they're doing before they're in the White House, that's not an automatic win. And how many of you, raise your hand if you believe this, And be honest about it. Before the 2016 election, you felt like Trump could do a good job as president. Really? You felt that way? Really? Come on now. Not many hands went up. That's what I'm talking about. DeSantis, he's done a great job in Florida, but I'm sorry, folks. Florida is one of 50 states. One of 50 plates with all kinds of egregious problems. And then you have problems across the pond. Look at what this president has done in our foreign policy. Bob Gates, remember him? He was the head of the CIA. He was the defense secretary, president of Texas A&M University after all of that. He worked with Joe Biden for years, and he said this, I don't know of a single foreign policy decision that was made in the last 35 years that Joe Biden got it right. He screws them up every time. 
Look at what's happening right now. Look at what happened over the weekend. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, they get together. They spent days together. They've got a bromance going on, no question about it. And they announced to the world, did you hear what Xi Jinping said? He said live, and it was interpreted, but it was live when they were kissing goodbye. Each held a glass of wine. They toasted each other. And Xi Jinping made the statement, Russia and China have just created the new world order. This is the new world order. So you got that going on. You've got our southern border craziness going on. I'm going to bring you a story. In fact, I think I may launch into that story right now. This one flew below your radar screen, I promise you. Last summer, the group of seven, you remember them? We call them G7. G7, they're really a self-anointed forum of nations that they look at themselves as the most influential economies in the world. They gathered in a town not far from uh, West, anyway, a little town in Germany. And they went there to hold their annual meeting. Their focus was to punish Russia using additional sanctions, further arming of Ukraine, and the containment of China. Well, at the same time, China hosted, through video conference, a gathering of the BRICS Economic Forum. That's B-R-I-C-S, BRICS. Who's in that group? Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. BRICS. Remember that name because you're going to hear it often now. BRICS is a collection of nations relegated to the status of so-called developing economies focused on strengthening economic bonds, international economic development, and how to address what they collectively say the counterproductive policies of the G7 are. Well, back in early 2020, Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rybakov predicted that based upon purchasing power parity or calculations projected by the International Monetary Fund, BRICS was going to overtake the G7 sometime later that year in terms of percentage of the global total. Now, in case you're confused about what it is regarding, a nation's GDP, gross domestic product, at purchasing power parity, or PPP, exchange rates is the sum value of all the goods and services produced in that country valued at prices prevailing in the U.S. and is a more accurate reflection of comparative economic strength than simple GDP calculations. So, it's a formula. Of course, the pandemic hit. The global economic reset that followed made the IMF projections worthless. The world became singularly focused on recovering from the pandemic and later managing the fallout from the West's massive sanctioning of Russia following that nation's invasion of Ukraine. Now, remember, if you've forgotten it, Putin went into Ukraine in February of 2022. The G7 they failed 
to heed the economic challenge that came from BRICS and instead focused on solidifying its defense of the rules-based international order that had become the mantra of the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden. Well, since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, an ideological divide that has gripped the world with one side led by the G7 condemning the invasion and seeking to punish Russia economically, and the other side led by BRICS taking a more nuanced stance by neither supporting the Russian action nor joining in on the sanctions. This has created an intellectual vacuum when it comes to assessing the true state of play in our global economic affairs. Now, what is all this about? It is now widely accepted that the U.S. and its G7 partners miscalculated both the impact sanctions would have on Russia and their economy, as well as the blowback that would hit the West. Angus King, you've heard the name, he's a senator for Maine, he's an independent. He said this, that he remembers when this started a year ago, all the talk was the sanctions are going to cripple Russia. They're going to be just out of business and riots in the street absolutely hasn't worked. Were they the wrong sanctions? Were they not applied well? Did we underestimate the Russian capacity to circumvent them? Why have the sanctions regime not played a bigger part in this conflict? I mean, I've asked those questions because Russia just keeps going, doesn't it? It should be mentioned that the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, they calculated that the Russian economy, as a result of the sanctions, would contract by at least 8%. The real number, 2%. 2% despite the sanctions. And it's expected to grow in 2023 and beyond. This kind of miscalculation has permeated Western thinking about the global economy and the respective roles played by the G7 and the BRICS. In October of last year, the IMF published its annual World Economic Outlook with a focus on the traditional GDP numbers. Mainstream economic analysts, accordingly, were comforted that, despite the political challenge put forward by BRICS in the summer of 22, the IMF was calculating that the G7 still held strong as the leading global economic bloc. Two months ago, the IMF published an update to the October 22 WEO, or World Economic Outlook, and guess what? It reinforced the strong position of the G7. According to the IMF's chief economist, the balance of risk to the outlook remains tilted to the downside, but it's less skewed toward adverse outcomes than it was in the October number. This positive hint, it prevented mainstream Western economic analysts from going deeper, digging into the data contained in the update. Fortunately, there are a few more economic analysts in the world, such as Richard Diaz, of Acorn Macron Consulting, that's a self-described boutique macroeconomic research firm employed 
in a top-down approach to the analysis of the global economy and financial markers. So, rather than accept the IMF's rosy outlook as gospel, Diaz did what analysts are supposed to do, dig through the data and extract the relevant conclusions. So, after he did that, and what am I getting at? Why am I telling you all this? After he went through the IMF's World Economic Outlook database and tore it to pieces, Diaz conducted a comparative analysis of the percentage of global GDP adjusted for PPP between the G7 and BRICS. And guess what he found out? BRICS has surpassed the G7. And this was not a projection. His was a statement of fact. BRICS was responsible for 31.5% of the adjusted global GDP, while the G7 provided 30.7%. Now, they're close, but think about that. The G7, all these countries with these hot dog leaders that think they are the best in the world, they know everything, they have everything, they got it all going on. Seven nations. And now they have been surpassed. Why, why, oh, why would you think they've been surpassed? Look at the leaders at those nations. Look at the fecklessness of the leadership. We're talking about Germany and Canada and the United States and the UK. <laughs> Australia. Think about those leaders. They've all stood back with their arms crossed. They've disengaged from real leadership, from really handling problems. And every one of them have adopted the whole philosophy that if you got a problem out there, go borrow some money and throw the money at the deal, whatever it is that's causing the problem, and everything's going to be okay. That's exactly opposite of what you need to do. And I hate to mention this, but looking over my shoulder, there was a guy at the top of the heap just a couple of years ago that he didn't sign off into that philosophy. His was hit a problem head on and fix it. And if it's going to cost some money to do it, whatever it's going to cost, go get it, but don't waste it. If you don't knew it, you're not going to do it right. Don't do it at all. Don't spend money if you're not going to do it, planning on it being successful. That's not Joe Biden. It wasn't Barack Obama either. It was former President Donald Trump. And you nor anybody else can credibly say that Donald Trump didn't get tons of economic things done that nobody said he could do. How did he do all these things? He, he put his shoulder to the plow, he shut his mouth, and just took definitive actions with one goal and one objective in mind. I'm going to reach accomplishments in this area and over here and down here. Every one of them are going to be for the betterment of the American people and not the federal government or anybody else that's in it. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. 
It's time to drive again with Honda, KBB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance Event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand image source from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KBB.com for more information. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Again, Dan Newman. Let me remind you about tomorrow. Tuesdays, every week, we have Steve Baker on with us, who has become, if he wasn't already, a rising star in U.S. politics up on Capitol Hill. There's some great news that came out. It's not so much that it's great but it's good that it came out about one of those oath keepers that was tried and Steve covered those trials. Remember ad nauseum. There's a story that he's published today and I think we may do a republish of it tomorrow, the next day, but he'll be, he'll be talking more about it when he's here tomorrow. And it's about one of those guys and it explains exactly how the politicization of January 6th rather than enforcing the rule of law is destroying good Americans' lives, and it's our federal government and the justice system that are doing it. You don't want to miss the show tomorrow. You really don't. And I I, I need to remind you, every day, truthnewsnet.org, www.truthnewsnet.org, we publish stories. Some of them we write in-house Many of them are written by good people, good writers, very knowledgeable people in various fields that are part of our, uh, I, I guess our, I'll just say, bevy of writers at Truth News Network. It's a great way to start your day. And if you haven't subscribed to truthnewsnet.org, let me invite you to do so. You don't, you don't buy anything. We don't sell anything. If you subscribe, all it means is your email goes into a database, and every time a story, a new story is published, one time a day, you'll get an email with the link to that particular story. Well, I read it anyway most of the time. Well, this way, 
You don't have to go to the homepage and search through the stories to see which one you read and this one I don't know about, all that kind of stuff. It takes you right to the latest story or podcast. And by the way, now you can get TNN live shows on the website every day, minutes after the show is over. That day's show in its entirety goes up and there's a special place for each day's story and you click on a link down at the bottom of it and it takes you right to the show. So a lot of good stuff there. When you subscribe, you're going to get access notification of that, everything that we do only. We don't sell anything. And by the way, nobody sees your email address but those of us here at Truth News Network. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else has access to it. And we certainly wouldn't sell your information to anybody. So you want to move on? Do you want to get into some more stuff? (laughs) There's plenty of it to go around, I promise you. Uh, Plenty of it to go around. Something that is not COVID-related, but it is CDC-related, it seems as though the fallout of the COVID response has tacked on another new concern as the folks at CDC issued a what they called a dire warning about a potentially deadly fungus that presents a serious global health threat. This week in the Annals of Internal Medicine, three years after non-essential workers had their lives superseded by the advice to stay home, save lives, The experts now have made themselves out to be chicken littles for the science. They spoke about a threat that would likely not have escalated were it not for the previous interventions. Publishing data from the CDC, the latest report found an increased number of infections from a potentially deadly and treatment-resisted fungus, Candida auris. One of roughly 200 species in the Candida genus, this particular fungus has shown an increase in infections of 60% between 2019 and 2020 before further climbing by 95% in 2021. In the CDC's own words, this increase, quote, presents a serious global health threat. But they noted that infections have occurred primarily in patients who are already in the hospital for other reasons, and they don't yet fully grasp how it spreads. Similarly, and also reminiscent of COVID, in answering whether or not a person can die from a candida auris infection, the CDC explained, yes, invasive infections with any candida species can be fatal, We don't know if patients with invasive C. auris infections are more likely to die than patients with other invasive candida infections. Based on information from a limited number of patients, 30 to 60% of people with those infections have died. 30 to 60%. However, many of these people had other serious illnesses that also increased their risk of death. Reacting to the data from the CDC, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, you see her on Fox News in the morning show sometime. She wrote this, weakened immune systems and mitigation tools used during the COVID-19 pandemic may have contributed to the increased cases 
of infection. And she explained, during the pandemic, healthcare professionals were instructed to reuse PPP, personal protective equipment, to ration supply. But the ability of the fungus to cling to hospital gowns, to gloves, and other PPE may have contributed to the spread of the pathogen. Also, more attention was spent on identifying COVID-19 infections with less emphasis on surveying for candida and other potential nosocomial hospital-acquired infections, she continued. Another way to say it would be that, as with patients missing crucial cancer screenings and other vital checkups because of fear or restricted access, the abandonment of best practices in favor of the single-minded mission to slow the spread of a virus with reportedly a greater than 99% survivability rate in most people, that would be COVID-19. You did hear that. Huge portion of the nation, 99% you're going to survive COVID-19 infection without a vaccination. That has led to lasting and far-reaching consequences that are still being assessed. She also pointed out the majority of cases occurred in either long-term care facilities or at hospitals with people already immunocompromised utilizing invasive medical devices. Bottom line, she said, your own immune system is the most important tool to keep safe from these emerging pathogens. Low zinc, iron, and vitamin D levels are known to increase the risk of these infections. Candida, this pathogen, does not typically infect healthy people, only causes problems in extremely ill individuals who are sick with a lot of other problems. Keeping your body healthy with diet, exercise, and a regular physician checkup is the best way to lessen your chances of illness. Only reason I'm bringing you that story is to make sure you know that this is out there. There's stuff out there that you need to know about and be cautious about. So 10 or 15 minutes ago, we launched into the Kamala Harris thing. I want to go into and get into a little deeper with that. Kamala Harris has got to be the most ineffective vice president in my lifetime. I always thought Bush 41's president, what was his name? He ran for president. He's from, he was a U.S. senator from the state of Indiana. I can't remember his name. I met him. Uh, During that time, actually, for two years, we moved to Indiana. We lived in Indianapolis. Dan Quayle. He was a former governor of uh, Indiana, and he lived right up the street from the radio studios, WTPI, in northern Indianapolis. But I thought he was an empty suit. I think basically Bush 41 chose him to run with him because he was a conservative, but he would give a bunch of the Midwestern states up there, give those to Bush 41. You know, 41, Texas guy, uh, and a Maine guy from Maine, former CI director. So he didn't have a little, a lot of political history. Dan Quayle pretty much did, governor of Indiana, and he was a U.S. senator. At work for one term, and then, of course, Bill Clinton ended that 
that uh, re-election bid didn't happen successfully. But Dan Quell was an empty suit, no matter what anybody said. Until Kamala Harris, I think Dan Quell held the record. So what about the president? What about President Biden? What does he think about his vice president? I mean, come on now. He had to agree when the Democrat Party leadership, they were putting the ticket together. He had to be okay. He had to agree with Kamala Harris. I've always wondered what kind of terms did he agree to to let her join the ticket? What does he think about her? But her accomplishments haven't won anybody over. You could say she hasn't grown into the job. But this is complicating his decision, according to Reuters, complicating his decision to run in 24. He feels if he doesn't run, she's not popular enough to run at the top of the ticket or any Democrat in the field. But I wonder if he's worried about running with her. But here they are tethered together. Boy, that's, that's that's a conundrum when you think about it. What would the people think? What would Democrats, what would they think? Those Democrats, the huge segment of Democrat voters who they just automatically go pull the ticket. Whoever's there, whoever's on that ticket, you know, those are the ones that our leaders in the Democrat Party said we needed to have an office, so I'm going to vote for them. What would they think if Joe Biden tried to kick her off the ticket? and run with somebody else's vice president. Well, a couple of other um, intellectuals who I think a lot about, Jordan Peterson, Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman and former um, presidential candidate. She's from Hawaii. She is still in the active military. I think a lot about her. She's got, by the way, she has a a really good uh, podcast video podcast, Tulsi Gabbard. Jordan Peterson's a Canadian, but he is one of the number one thinkers in politics and a bunch of other things. They actually got together about Kamala Harris. Uh, You look at someone like Kamala Harris, for example. She's a breath away from the presidency. And I I have lost track of how many conversations. Yes, a feeble breath, unfortunately. Yes, exactly, Hmm. which is incredibly concerning. I I have lost track of how many service members, American service members I have spoken with who are absolutely terrified about the prospect of a President Harris. For that reason, she's she's You mean facing off against someone like Vladimir Putin, for example? Wouldn't that be lovely? Kamala Harris versus Vladimir Putin. Oh, yeah. or, or anyone, but somebody like her is weak, who lacks understanding in foreign policy, who feels the need to prove herself, to mm-hmm. prove her strength, to, to stand up with the big boys and look yeah. tough and somehow believe that, well, hey, the best way to do that is to go drop some bombs somewhere and start a war. This, this is a, a terrifying prospect. Those are two people that are typically not so much in the fray of politics. Now, you would say Tulsi Gabbard, she ran for president. She was in Congress. Honestly, she's not a hardcore politician, and I think that that's why her push to get included in the conversations about that race back in 2016 I uh, think she was left out for that reason. She just didn't fit in. You know what I mean? And, of course, since then, she's left the Democrat Party. She's a declared independent. She's not a Republican. But she 
uh, she's got a lot of very conservative ideals that she puts out there, and she makes a lot of sense. You don't see a lot of people that you would call intellectuals that are firmly in the Kamala Harris camp. You're just not seeing those. And it's because of one thing. Democrats work in large part in politics. Now, all the stuff that behind the actual politics is a different story. But what you see and what you hear is much of political fluff, symbolism over substance. Now, give me an example or two. Okay, it's real simple. Let's talk about the rule of law. Let's talk about the southern border. He's up in Canada, is Joe Biden, over the weekend. And he promises the Canadian people in a speech that he's working with their prime minister, Justin Trudeau, to come up with a plan to secure the border of Canada. And you compare that, Joe Biden will tell you today, We've got a plan for the southern border. We're going to make sure that the law is inputted in all the operations at the southern border. In fact, that's what we're doing. Now, the difference is Joe Biden is a symbolism over substance guy. And that's why people like Tulsi Gabbard and Jordan Peterson said what they said about Kamala Harris. She's in that same vein. They don't give a rip about the facts. It's what they can sell to the American people. What lie, whatever they can prop up and get people to think is real and the way to go and all that. Can you believe today? Just be honest. Be honest. Can you believe today that there's one credible thinking Democrat in the United States, and I'm talking about credible thinking, fact-finding sniffing Democrat that looks at what's playing out in this administration at every level and feels like this is best for the American people. Do you think there are people out there that honestly feel that way? I'm talking about the ones that take the time to look at the facts. And there are a lot of Democrats out there that do that. But do you think there's one that will honestly feel and would say it if they were on the show today. I think what's happening in the White House is the best that we can do in America, and we need to double down on it going into 2024. And the scary thing is for me, there are a lot of Democrats that feel that way. What world do they live in? They can't honestly say that if they look at the real facts. And we won't go into the real facts today. You you know them all. At the top of the show, I brought in some things. I, I told you about the BRICS. The BRICS have surpassed the G7, which are all of the buddies of this president and two presidents ago, his boss, Barack Obama, you know, the button-busting people, Pierre Trudeau and the Prime Minister of the UK, they're the ones that all get together, and they're the ones that have been the powerful nations on the planet and had the greatest social justice systems 
and economies of any other countries on the planet. And now they've been surpassed by some little bitty countries that were always just afterthoughts like Brazil and India and South Africa and China and Russia. And those countries have a better economic, when you throw all of the facts in together, put them in a pile, than the G7 do, the so-called powerful nations. What else is out there that you need to consider today? I don't know if you heard about it, but over the weekend the news came out of Ukraine. Volodymyr Zelensky, that great president of Ukraine, he has begun ordering his Nazi police force, and they are Nazis, avowed Nazis, to go into the Ukrainian countryside towns and cities and find Orthodox priests that are heads of Orthodox churches in Ukraine, Catholic Orthodox churches, uh, churches, and arrest those priests and shut down, close the churches. Now, why is that a big deal, Dan? Well, it, on, on several levels, it really is a big deal. Number one, why and who did Vladimir Putin invade Russia, uh, excuse me, invade Ukraine for? Why? What was his purpose? What was his reason? He has for many, many years blasted Nazis in Ukraine. Even before Ukraine existed, when it was still mostly part of Russia, the Soviet Union. Back then, he griped about the Nazis in Ukraine. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about an avowed, hardcore, totalitarian, Vladimir Putin, and he's talking about Nazis? We hear the term Nazis all the time in the United States. Where do we hear it? Well, it's Democrats talking about MAGA GOP people. Oh, you got to be a Nazi. You've got to be a fascist. You can't be a Democrat. We Democrats are the only Democrats. You Nazis don't believe in it. Well, here's the thing, folks. Nazism, fascism are more than labels. They are actually ways of life. Now, when we hear the term Nazi, if you look at history, all we think about is the termination of six million Jews by the Nazis in World War II. But Nazism is bigger than what happened in World War II. It's a total domination way of thinking where a very select few of people in government have total authority over everybody else and where everybody else's lives and anything in their lives and everything in their lives don't even matter. The only thing that matters is the authoritarians at the top, the totalitarian concepts rule everything and everybody. Now, why would Vladimir Putin feel like there are a bunch of Nazis in Ukraine? Let me tell you why. History, it shows it. Do you remember at the end of World War II, all of the Nazis, the ones that they could find, 
the ones that had been involved in the extermination process of those six million Jews, they were put on trial, the Nuremberg trials. You remember those very highly publicized. And some of those Nazi perpetrators were hanged, some were shot, some were put in life, some were sent way away in other countries, South America and other places. But a lot of them moved to what's today Ukraine and have been there for several generations now. So there is a lot of that thought process in Ukraine. And one of those that has been, I don't know, not entrenched in it so much as involved in it is Volodymyr Zelensky. You remember Putin labeled him from the very beginning. He's a leader of Nazis. He's a Nazi himself. I don't know. I can't see his heart. I don't know. But when you have a leader of a country, any country, and just out of the clear blue, you think he pops up and tells those Nazi police forces in the Ukraine to go grabbing priests and shutting down churches? Does that sound a little bit like something Nazis would do or not? Am I missing something there? So you put that together with the fact that from the mouth of the president of China, when he was meeting with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, three days they were together. What could they talk about for three days? They didn't go out and play golf. They were talking about strategic world things regarding their two countries and their political opponents and foes. And Xi Jinping came out of that meeting and he made an announcement. We have just started, created the new world order. That's a term that's loosely been thrown around for generations, but it's here. So you put those two things together and then you put the BRICS versus the G7 together. What we're seeing and what you and I are living in is a perfect storm. A perfect storm. I don't know if it is the perfect storm. But folks, we've got a lot of nasty stuff going on around us. You right now in your life, if, you, if you're not struggling economically, it means you're in a really good place. And you had a lot of economic fortitude before Joe Biden became president. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not diminishing you in every way. I'm saying good for you. Honestly, I say good for you. Most of the people are struggling. We have all these tornadoes that are killing. It seems like every few weeks we have a string of tornadoes that just go find Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and kill people. That's happening. Nobody can understand why these storms are happening. And look look what's going on right now in California. There are ski outlets, ski places in Northern California that tell us they will have enough snow for people to ski in July, August, and September. 
California's never in recorded history had snow like this. Now, what are you referencing, Dan? I'm just saying we're told, biblically, we're told that strange things are going to happen before the end, the beginning of the end. So you've got the BRICS and the G7 thing. You've got the China and Russia thing. You've got lawlessness at every level, not just in the United States, but in other countries around the world that is peaking and going through the roof and leaders that are allowing it to happen. It's not just here in the United States. And then you have these weird weather enigmas that are happening over and over and over again. I'm going to be biblical for a minute. 21st chapter of Luke, starting with verse 25. There will be signs attesting miracles in the sun and the moon and the stars. And on the earth there will be distress and anguish among nations. In perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea and the waves people fainting from fear and expectation of the dreadful things coming on the world. For the very powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with transcendent, overwhelming power, subduing the nations and with great glory. Now here's the verse that I wanted you to think of. This is from the Bible. I know it. You can't do that on the air, Dan. Yes, I can. This is a streaming show that I happen to own, a website that produces it that I happen to own. So I can talk about God. I can talk about Jesus. I'm doing it right now. And if you don't like it, click the switch. I'm joking. I don't want you to leave. This is important. Verse 28. This is why at the top of the show I said, we don't need to let our circumstances control our lives. We need to choose the path that we are going to, with our families, walk in our lives, the one that's best for us. And we don't need a Xi Jinping or a Vladimir Putin or a Joe Biden to tell us what that pathway is. We need to do it for ourselves. And for generations, the United States was the number one place on the planet where you could do that. And all of these things that you have no control over, you don't have any control over your taxes other than your vote. You don't have any control over how much you pay for gas to fill up your tank or the fact that you can't get some of the food at the grocery store that you need, it's not on the shelves, or if it's on the shelves, it's too much that you can't pay for it. You don't need to have your kids going to a school where they're being taught how to masturbate when they're five years old and encouraging it. We don't need that. You don't need that. So why is all this happening? This is supposed to be a Christian nation, the greatest nation in world history. Well, it, it still is, but it's, it's diminishing every day, and you can't credibly negate that. It's diminishing. So what is all of this about? What is 
Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky, what are they doing in their respective countries? They're supposed to be at each other's throats with Vladimir Putin being the great villain. And now we find out that Volodymyr Zelensky is capturing priests and Catholic churches around Ukraine and closing the churches. Why is the weather so screwed up like we haven't seen it? I've never seen anything like it. It's snowing in California and people are dying in tornadoes in Mississippi at the same time. Luke 21, verse 28. Now when these things begin to occur, stand tall, lift up your heads in joy, because suffering ends as your redemption is drawing near. That's the reason why I'm having this conversation with you today. Something's up. Something's up. Now, are you one of those crazy people, these Christians that think we're going to Christians, every Christian's going to be pulled up into the air at some point and we're going to go join Jesus and God in the heavens and that the dead that were Christians are going to rise. Do you believe all that stuff? You know what? I do. I really do. And three weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago, I stood in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives biblically, if you know anything about it, historically, if you know anything about it, it's one of the prominent places in world history and Christian history and Jewish history, the Mount of Olives. And I looked across a little, I thought it would be a valley, but it's really not a valley. It's about 150, 200 yards across. And the east, the, the wall around the Temple Mount, big wall all the way around it with the Mosque of Omar, the Muslim mosque is with the gold top. You see it all the time. It's gold-plated. It really is sitting on top of that. And the eastern gate is sealed shut. Hmm. The eastern gate is sealed shut. Who did that? Muslims did. Back and forth wars throughout history between Christians and Muslims. And the reason they sealed it up is in the Bible. It says that Jesus will be the next person that walks through the gate, the eastern gate of the temple. And so they don't want Jesus to have that ability, so they sealed it up. And to make it even more uh, perfect for them, Jewish law forbids godly men, people that are, you know, in the faith, Jewish faith in Judaism. You can't walk where there are dead people. So the Muslims created this big Muslim cemetery right up against the wall. And I looked across there, first time in my life I'd been there, and I'd heard about all this my life, my whole life. And I finally, it really dawned on me, you know what? <laughs> this is really going to happen. <laughs> it's really going to happen. How do you know that, Dan? Well, I, I, I have faith. I believe in it. So what is faith, and how does it work? Let me give you the definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to repeat that, and then I'm going to explain it. Faith is the substance of 
things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the little bitty piece of what you want, you know, that kind of sticks in your mind and you think about it. Sometimes it may be you want a new car, and so you go to a dealership and you get one of those catalog things that they give you when you walk in, and you've got this book, and it's full of pictures and all the information about the car you want. That's the substance of things that you hope for. And it's the evidence of things that you can't see. That car coming off the convoy truck that's delivering it, that's coming to you, you know, that that could happen. And it's in this book and it looks just like this. Well, just because you hope for something doesn't mean you're always going to get it. No, it doesn't. And we're not talking just about material things. We're talking about things people pray for, better relationships with our spouses, our kids to stop being in the gangs and stuff that they're involved in or in the groups that they're involved in or being found smoking dope. We want them to get out of that stuff. And we're praying for that. Why are you praying for something if you don't believe it can happen? Praying is not hoping. Hope is important, but it's not as important as praying for something. We're taught in the Bible that if we pray for things, we don't have to earn the right to pray for things. We don't have to earn the right to believe those things will happen. Faith makes them happen. Well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't believe in faith. I want, I want to see it. I want to know it. Well, the Bible additionally says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So you got to do it in faith. If you can see it and touch it and you know it, it's right there in front of you, that's not a faith. It's not seeing it, but believing it because you have the substance of what it is. And you believe if God said it, that's the way it's going to be. I'm telling you, and you may never listen to this show again, I'm telling you, this guy believes in Luke 21. And here's what I'm doing in the midst of all this. I cover this stuff for you guys every day. I do it every day. I love doing it. I love investigating it. And I'm caught up in it. I don't let it get me down. In fact, quite honestly, especially of late, What happens is I get more excited because I believe what Luke 21 says in verse 28. Now when these things begin to occur, stand tall, lift up your heads in joy because suffering ends as your redemption is drawing nigh. I'm excited about it. And you know what? Having that little ray of substance in my heart. It gives me pause so that I don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. And if it doesn't happen today, it doesn't happen this year, it doesn't happen this decade, I'm still in a great place because I have faith and I know that this is going to happen. It may be after I die, and if it is, I believe the Bible that says, if I'm in a grave, I'm going to be one of the first 
to head to heaven. <laughs> I kind of love that thought just thinking about it. Y'all don't know what I think about uh, being outside, maybe driving down the road, and I see a bunch of graves at a cemetery blowing open and people taking off, and it's I'm not one of them. Anyway, all of what you just heard is in my heart. It's in my mind. It's always been in my mind. I grew up, I, I believe this firmly. And I believe that someday this is going to happen. And so maybe it's tomorrow. So I'm going to do what 28 says. Now when these things begin to happen, stand tall. Lift up your heads in joy because suffering ends as your redemption is drawing near. I'm waiting on it, folks. I'm looking for it today. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's. An exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey. You can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant restaurant around. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double crispy cheesy burger, the flame fresh taste. Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Get the new double crispy cheesy burger with double the flame fresh taste. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. God, you become a Christian. Does that mean you can't do anything? I have so much fun in my life. I love what I'm doing. Sorry about that glitch there. I'm sorry. I have so much fun in my life. I love what I'm doing so much. Um, I can't think of a better way to live my life. And, uh, I've got a lot of good things in my life. I've got a lot of good people. And I've got a great family. Some of you know me. You know my family. 
probably a bunch of you don't. You must think I'm a nut job after what you just heard <laughs> over the top of this this show today, and that's okay. That's okay. You've got the right to believe whatever you want to believe, as do I. This is the United States of America. I got to be honest with you, though. There are a lot of people out there that don't think you have that right. You remember this mess that happened last week out at Stanford? They, in this particular class, they invited a federal judge to come talk to them about free speech. And when he shows up and he begins to talk to them, the students went crazy on him, hollering at him, telling him he's a, uh, a Nazi. He's a totalitarian. He's destroying the freedom of the First Amendment, which is the right to speak. Now think about how stupid that is. What they were trying to do was take away his right to speech, telling him he's taking away their right to speak. This insanity is just consuming, and people are refusing to believe the truth. And it's not just begun, it's always been there, but it's at epic levels now. And it's really getting caustic and difficult to deal with. And things are really, they're ramping up. I can't think of a better term to use. They are ramping up. And I don't know what's going to happen, but people that have titles are really taking advantage of that and are ratcheting down on the power that comes with these titles. Like New York City, New York City's teachers union, the teachers union for just the city, not only wants to indoctrinate their students in these schools about the harmful effects of whiteness, they're incentivizing it through a career-benefiting seminar. I'm not joking. It's the United Federation of Teachers, the UFT, previously was led by the current American Federation of Teachers president, Randy Weingarten, who you see screaming on the television all the time because of all the stuff that happened during COVID-19. And they've raised serious concerns with the promotion of a new optional online seminar. It's titled, Holding the Weight of Whiteness. It's a virtual program scheduled for next Monday, touted itself as a course about humility and inclusion, but it seemed entirely focused on demonizing white people who, according to the New York City Department of Education, make up less than 50% of the student body in New York City. White kids. It's going to be hosted by Queens Bay psychotherapy consultant and diversity, equity, and inclusion leader, Erica Sandoval. It's a $25 two-hour seminar, included the added benefit of two hours of continuing education credit for all licensed mental health professionals, in the school system, therefore providing teachers an opportunity to advance their career and to gain a higher salary through the divisive program. Participants will leave the workshop with a better understanding of how to center ourselves as a form of resistance against the harmful effects of whiteness in our lives. The organizations we work for are direct and the communities 
in which we serve. Ah, that's real unity there, right? Pulling people together. I thought we wanted to be inclusive and bring everybody in and that we want everybody to get together and become one. You know, that one nation under God thing. It's exactly opposite of that. And they call that pointing out to people's differences. It's a good thing in that world that they live in. I don't know what they're smoking. Well, I do. We're talking about New York City. Not just smoking, injecting. But they're not living in the same world that I'm living, facing the same challenges that I face. And separation and divisiveness is exactly opposite of what needs to happen, especially in our school systems. So let's talk about another issue that uh, just gets worse and worse and worse. Authorities over the weekend stopped two Cuban migrants coming into the United States. Now, what's this all about? Well, it's different. Well, like Cuban migrants come in every day. These two flew a powered hang glider to Key West International Airport on Saturday. The two were later returned over to U.S. Customs Border Protection custody. Authorities apprehended the two with no incident. Shows a picture of it. Pictures show what appears to be a homemade powered hang glider. Cuban migrants arrive in every manner, typically in makeshift homemade boats, the county sheriff, Monroe County Sheriff's Office spokesperson said. This is not a typical event, but it's not completely unusual. Migrant encounters at the southern border topped a million in the first five months of the government's fiscal year this year. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz told the House Homeland Security Committee that DHS does not have operational control of the border. And now they're making makeshift hang gliders to fly into Key West from Cuba. Steve Baker will be with us tomorrow. We're going to talk about a bunch of this. Revelations of the sheer number of FBI informants that were involved in the January 6th Capitol riot have shaken a trial of members of the Proud Boys in Washington, D.C., as one FBI informant had infiltrated the defense team. As Julie Kelly, who's covered the J6 trials extensively, reports, there are at least two, excuse me, there are at least 10 informants, now known FBI informants, to have been involved in the Proud Boys, more than twice the five defendants who were on trial. One shocking revelation last week was one FBI informant, Jen Lowe, J-E-N-L-O-H, a member of Latinos for Trump, had been in close contact with the defendants and their legal team throughout the trial, potentially compromising their constitutional rights. If the government had spied on discussions among the defendants and their lawyers by using an informant, that would violate the attorney-client privilege and the Sixth Amendment. One report says over the past year, Texas woman Jen Lowe 
has been in touch with several Proud Boys now on trial for seditious conspiracy, talking with the members of the far-right group and their defense counsel about the case and suggesting possible witnesses and attorneys who could help. All the while, Lowe was also a paid FBI informant. That revelation threw a wrench into the ongoing trial this week in federal court in D.C. when defense counsel learned of that relationship that she had with government. The defense objected to the continuation of the trial until the prosecution told Judge Timothy Kelly, an appointee of Donald Trump, that Lowe had not informed them about the defense in the trial. Defense attorneys are scheduled to question Lowe today, but questions are growing about the extent to which FBI informants knew about the Capitol riot and may have encouraged the crowd during the riot. Many of the defendants in J6-related prosecutions who pled guilty have acknowledged that they alone decided to trespass or to commit other crimes. However, the role of informants remains unclear. Some Trump supporters have claimed incorrectly that the riot was fomented by left-wing groups or that it was entirely orchestrated by the FBI, but the shroud of secrecy around FBI informants has fueled these claims. Trump himself has argued that he urged Congress to accept National Guard help in the days leading up to J6, but that then Speaker Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell declined. And so what does all this mean, Dan? It means we don't know what the heck happened on J6, why, nor who. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And let's talk about another little travesty. House Armed Services Subcommittee for Military Personnel Chair Jim Banks of Indiana, a Republican, in a recent interview with Breitbart News, harshly criticized the Pentagon for focusing on DEI. Now, what is that? You need to learn this term, folks. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. DEI. Or efforts to make the military more racially and gender diverse instead of focusing on, you know, making it more lethal. They're focusing on DEI instead of on the future of our armed forces and protecting America, which is the explicit purpose for our military to begin with, said Banks. By the way, he's a Navy reservist. Banks held a hearing last week to grill Biden Pentagon officials from Department of Defense and each military service on the six million man hours troops were forced to spend on this crap DEI training in the first year of the Biden administration. Everybody wonders, what happened to our military all of a sudden? Why is there so much stuff going on besides, you know, being members of the military? It's because Joe Biden's president, and they've sold out to DEI. And they're training us how to be great to everybody and to talk to the people that are standing across from us in a war with a rifle aimed at us and try to help them understand their social problems. And I'm joking, folks, but it's not a joking manner, and I'm not making fun of it. Now, speaking of military, you want to hear about something that is really kind of odd going on in the Ukraine 
War, the Invasion of Russia, ancient T-54 and T-55 tanks have been taken out of storage in Russia and are joining the slightly less agent T-62s that Russia has already dusted off to use in Ukraine. Imagery of trains located with up to dozens of T-54s, which first went into service in Russia when Stalin still ruled the Soviet Empire back in the 40s, T-55s, which entered service in the late 50s. And they've been circulating these pictures in Forbes, Newsweek, and the Washington Post. So according to the Georgia-based conflict intelligence team, this footage comes from the Russian Far East near the 129, uh, the 1295th Central Tanks and Repair Storage Base. It's in Arsenia, meaning that recently reactive T-62s, the armor has likely, if not certainly, been refurbished to use and sent to Ukraine. Underarmored, underpowered. Grossly undersized compared to the Western-made Challenger 2, the Leopard 2, and the M1 Abrams main battle tanks now being transferred to Ukraine. The possible deployment of these T-54 and T-55 series tanks has been a source of much mockery among Russia's detractors, with the likes of Karl Bildt, co-chairman of the European Council on Foreign Relations, and a former Swedish prime minister, said it underscores how their stocks of modern arms have been seriously depleted. And I I don't want to leave this out today. This is important. As a result of a three-year investigation, prosecutors in Queens, New York, unsealed an indictment of 151 charges against 33 rival gangbangers. The feud between the rival gang members who terrorized New York citizens resulted in at least two deaths, one of whom was a 14-year-old high school freshman. It's a violent rivalry between the Money World crew and two other gangs called Local Trap Stars and Never Forget Loyalty. Went on for years, started in April of 2019 when a member of Trap Stars was attacked by members of the two other gangs. Since then, the feud has left at least half a dozen people wounded, two others dead. One of the victims, Amir Griffin, a high school freshman and promising basketball player who was fatally shot by Sean Brown back in October of 2019. Brown spotted Griffin on a basketball court in South Jamaica, mistook him for one of the rival gang members, opened fire with a 380 caliber handgun. After Griffin's death, six more attacks of retaliation were carried out between the gangs, one of which was the fatal shooting of 26-year-old Sean Vance on New Year's Eve 2020 while he was sitting in a parked car. Vance was also mistaken for somebody else who allegedly the shooter Tim Earth Bay Foster, a member of the Money World Gang, planned the killing with two other members, according to prosecutors. Five of the 33 will be charged with murder and related to the two killings. All 33 defendants in the massive case will be charged with conspiracy to commit murder, among many other charges. Think about it, 100, 
51 indictments. That's a lot of people that are going down. Folks, listen. There's no doubt in my mind we are entering a time in our history, American history, that we Americans, we need to sit down and have a come-to-Jesus moment. And maybe we need to sit down and have an actual come-to-Jesus moment. But what I'm referencing with that assertion, come-to-Jesus moment, is this. It's time to make some very pivotal decisions about our lives and everything going on in our lives and what we want our lives to be. And so what I have to leave with you today is don't worry, don't sweat it, trust God, find if you don't have one, a personal relationship with God. That's through prayer and just trust it's going to get better. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for being here every day. Tomorrow, Steve Baker joins us. And until then, have a great day. We'll see you then. I can reminisce about it all